0: I'll also have the uh, the verses up here on the screen, but we're in week three of a four-week mini-series called Kingdom <laughs> of Priests, and uh, if you've missed uh, the last couple of weeks, our series goal is simply to embrace our identity as priests who are on mission to glorify God, and we're learning that we do that better together than we do as individuals. In, uh, in Catholicism and in, and in some different religions, they have what's called a priest, a mediator, a go-between, someone who brings you into the presence of God. But in Christian understanding, that's not the reality. Every single follower of Jesus is a priest. It's called the priesthood of the, of the believer. We've been exploring that the last couple of weeks and exploring the implications of what it means that we are together a kingdom of priests. So today, the title of my message is Everyday Priests. I'm going to read some verses from Ephesians chapter four, and uh, then we're going to play a game together and then we'll dismiss the kids. All right. Ephesians chapter four, verse 11, it says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, and that is Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Now, I said that we're going to play a game to, uh, to start the sermon today, and that is actually what we, are, what we are going to do. Not a game for game's sake, but a game to help us understand a little bit more about this passage. So I have asked Kevin Liu to come down and, uh, and be my volunteer that I drafted. So he was not really a volunteer at all. Everybody clap for, for Kevin. No, come on. That was a little weak. There we go. All right. Kevin has no idea yet what he's volunteered for, so uh, 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 Kevin, for those of you that don't know, uh, Kevin is a pastor in training. He's in seminary, he's learning about the Bible, he's learning about theology, he's learning about God, and over the last few years here at Mosaic, it has been our awesome privilege to kind of develop him and see his gifts unleashed in his life, so he preaches and teaches He leads a small group Bible study. Uh, He's discipled some of you. Uh, He's counseled some of you. Uh, He leads our greeter team. He does a lot of different stuff. Because that's what we expect of a quote-unquote professional pastor. A pastor does pastoral duties, right? And I want to affirm, Kevin, that I have seen in you over the last few years, I have seen the gifts of God on display. And I can affirm, seeing your gifts in action, I can affirm and say, yes, yes. God has gifted you to be a pastor and to be a leader in a church, okay? So because you are such a gifted individual, the kind that is described in Ephesians 4, verse 11, I want you to grab the end of that rope, and we're going to play a game of tug of war, all right? I want you to grab the end of that rope, that right there. All right, now everybody kind of scoop to the edge, all right? I want everybody on the edge of of the pew, the inside edge, so you can see what's going on here. All right. Yeah. Everybody cheer for Kevin. Kevin, 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 Kevin. All right. Kevin. Now, okay. Hold on. So there is a, uh, there's a line in the middle. That's the, that's the winner's line. You got to try to get by that. Now, how many of you have ever played a game of tug of war before? Maybe when you were a teenager or something. All right. My most vivid memories of the tug of war game was when I was a teenager at Bible camp and I went away to this, this Christian camp and they had this kiddie pool full of mud. And, and the two teams were standing on either side, and you had to drag your opponents through the mud in order to win. And I don't remember what the prize was, but uh, it brought out all of the testosterone in all of us teenage boys. And we just like went at it, trying to drag each other through the mud to win the tug of war. But Ephesians 4, verse 11, talks about how Jesus has gifted certain leaders to the church. And a lot of times we have this conception that leaders like Kevin are super Christians. They are the elites, the ones who know God really well, and they know how to do all the Christian churchy stuff really well. So we are, because Kevin is such a gifted leader, and because we can affirm that God's gift is upon his life, we are going to put him to the test today. All right? So we're going to play a tug of war. Do you think you can win? Oh, yeah, of course. Can you flex your muscles for me? Come on. Wait, hold on, I missed it, can you, can you do it again? All right, now here's the deal. I need everybody who's not holding a baby to grab the other side. Everybody, stand up, stand up. I need everybody who is not holding a baby, or if you're holding a baby and you still wanna do it, grab the other side. Now, Kevin, uh, there are, there are two groups of people described in this passage. There are the leaders of the church and we'll talk specifically about them, but they were apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. They are described, they're the leaders of the church. And then there's something called the saints. That was uh, Paul's way of describing every single Christian. Because every single Christian is a saint. Okay? So you guys are who? Who are you guys? Saints. The saints. And Kevin is, is the leaders of the church. He's the pastor, right? Now, Kevin, I want you to know that I have tremendous appreciation for your gifts and your talents. And uh, against all odds, I'm rooting for you. All right? Because, because you represent... You represent team pastor and I'm on team pastor, right? So I'm, I'm counting on you. No, you're on your own, but I'm counting on you. All right. Now I just want to remind you that you are a very gifted man of God. And I think if I were to, if I were to ask Woodley's opinion, like we have both, we have seen your gifts and your calling and your character mature over the last few years. You are pastor material and they're the saints. All right, so here we go. On the count of three, I want everybody to pull as hard as they can. Now Kevin, remember, I'm rooting for you. All right, right. I'm gonna start at three and count down. Guys, don't hurt Kevin, all right? Three, two, one, pull, pull. Come on Kevin, 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 Kevin. You all right, oh, no. Kevin, what'd you do? No, I know. We got <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, let's give Kevin a big hand, and everybody have a seat. Yeah. Can you clap? Can you clap for Kevin? Kevin, why don't you come back up here? Oh, uh, we're gonna go ahead and dismiss the kids now. So if you're with the kids, you can be the CS. all right now while the kids are being dismissed kevin kevin why don't you come back up and uh i want i want to debrief uh your experience right because um it's not just going through important experiences that helps us learn but it's it's talking about it together afterwards so um do you after that experience, after losing, do you still feel like God has gifted you? Uh, I've uh, changed my mind. I've <laughs> changed my <laughs> mind. I've been humbled. Maybe my gifts are not so good. Well, <laughs> yeah. could, it, could it be that maybe God gifted them too? <laughs> is, that, like, is that possible? I, I, I <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for, for being willing to, uh, to be humbled here um, with, a, with us all. Everybody give Kevin a big hand again. You can have a seat. All right. See, all right okay Ephesians 4:11 says that Jesus gives gifted leaders to the church and Paul in this verse calls them apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. It is a heady list it, it is a list that sounds really impressive. there's like all these like church leaders and we' we're, we're taught in church culture. To take those church leaders and put them up on a pedestal because we think that church christians or that that church leaders are like super elite they're like the special forces of the military in fact i heard it described recently that way uh and and so they're like the special forces they're like seal team six right that goes in to get osama bin laden these are these are the elites of the elites but what we've really been discovering over the last couple of weeks, as we've learned about what it means that we are a kingdom of priests, is that there is much is as much Holy Spirit in you if you're a child of God as there is in me, and that there is as much gifting from the Holy Spirit in you if you're a child of God as there is in me, and there is as much responsibility. To do pastoral work in you, if you're a child of God, as the reason. What do I mean by that? Well, we're going to talk about it uh, as we explore this text together. I have three simple points. I don't think this passage is rocket science. In fact, I don't really expect you to remember my points. You'll probably remember the, the tug of war game, and that's fine. Uh, if that's what it, uh, what it takes for us to remember the basic idea of this text. But what I want to describe today and discuss is the idea that we are everyday priests. You're a priest if you're a follower of Jesus, just as much as I or Kevin or anybody else is a priest. Three points. The first one is that Jesus gave leaders to the church. The second one is that the leaders equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The third one is that the saints build up the body. So there are, there are three individuals or groups mentioned in this passage. There's Jesus. There's the leaders of the church who go by these five different categories. And then there are the saints. So we represented two of those groups in our tug of war. Who were who you guys again? You were the saints. And who was Kevin again? He was like a church leader, right? Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. He was that category. And then the third group, obviously, or individual is Jesus, so you've got Jesus gives leaders to the church. The leaders of the church equip the saints for the work of the ministry and the saints build up the body. So everybody plays a role in God's church. Why? Because we are a kingdom of priests. What is Jesus's role? Let's look back at verse 11. Now, Jesus has many roles, Okay. We sang earlier about how he's the cornerstone. He's the foundation. There would be no church possible if Jesus were not incarnated in human flesh, if he didn't die and rise from the dead and ascend and send the Holy Spirit. There would be no church possible. But in this verse, it kind of keys in on something else. What is Jesus's role of building the church in verse 11? The he in the second second word, that's Jesus. What is his role according to this verse? tell me, what does it say? And he gave himself and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So what does Jesus do? How does he build the church? He, he, what? He assigns roles. Okay. Kind of. What's the, uh, what's the verb right here? After the word himself, he gives what does he give? Or who does he give? He gives himself. Okay? Not in this verse. He gives who does he give? He himself gives some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. So what you have is the idea that Jesus is ascended back into heaven. And he has sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And the Spirit is empowering and sending leaders to the church. So what Jesus does to build his church in verse 11 is he gives gifted leaders to the church. He gives gifted men who will shepherd the congregation. And he describes five of them. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Um. Now, I think a couple of these are what you might call transitional gifts uh, that were around for a while, maybe the first hundred or so years after the time of Christ. Apostles and prophets was kind of a unique gift, a unique uh, office, a unique calling. To be an apostle, according to Paul in Corinth, you had to have seen the risen Christ. That's why Paul was qualified to be an apostle, because he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. So that's why you're never going to hear me call myself Apostle Stephen, because I'm not an apostle. And I would gently submit that anybody who calls themselves an apostle, they may have the best of intentions, but they're not an apostle, not by the biblical definition of the term. There was a group of apostles who received the truth from God and they were able to authoritatively speak for God and say, you shall not, you must. I have a word from the Lord for you. You see, apostles could do that in a way that I never can. I have to stick to what the Bible says. And I can't really go off script, right? And if, and, and if I go off script, there's a good chance I'm going to mess up. Paul could go off script because Jesus was talking to him in a unique and powerful way in which he does not do to me. i got to read the Bible. Just like every other Christian. That goes back to the idea that we together are a priesthood of Believers, you're as much of a priest as I am. So there are these apostles and prophets who kind of uh, come along onto the foundation that Jesus has laid, and in the first couple of centuries after the church is being established, they're kind of building up and establishing and receiving fresh words from God and incorporating them into what is the New Testament. And then there are later gifts that are that are employed and that really have been passed down for the last two thousand years: the gifts of evangelism. Uh, Gifted people who can share the gospel outside the faith. Uh, Now, I would hasten to clarify whether you have the gift or not. You're supposed to share your faith outside the faith. Sometimes people say, well, I don't talk to my coworkers about Jesus because that's not my gift. I don't have the gift of evangelism. I have the gift of of worshiping in song or I have the gift of of preaching or I have the gift of showing mercy. Well, this is like uh, what, what would you think of me? if you called me because you had a death in your family and you're just sobbing on the phone and I'm like, sorry, I don't have the gift of mercy so call Woodley and see if you get better luck you would say, Stephen, that's not spiritual that's just a lame cop out and we do the same thing all the time with the gift of evangelism we say, that's not my gift, so I don't have to do it My friends, whether you're gifted in evangelism or mercy or giving, God has called us to do all of the above. It's just some are going to naturally excel at it in ways that others don't. Jesus' role in verse 11 is to give gifted leaders to the church. Some of them in ancient days were apostles and prophets. Some of them are evangelists. And then some, the last group there, are pastors and teachers. It's a a category of people related to one another. That's, That's what I do. That's what Woodley does, right? We are pastors and teachers Here at Mosaic. And who has given the leaders to the church? Jesus. So Jesus' role, according to this verse, in building his church is to give gifted leaders to the church. Now, I cringe to like even preach this because I have to check my own spirit here. Um, Because if I'm, If I'm not careful, I can take this verse and turn it on its head and be like, yeah. Those of us who are leaders in the church, we are God's gift to this church. Man, they're so lucky that God has given us to to the church and we can develop a spirit of pride, conceit, arrogance. That's not actually the point of the verse. In fact, it's the opposite. Who does the giving in this verse? Jesus. So who gets the credit? Jesus, because Jesus gifts the leaders, and then he gives those leaders to the church. So the leaders get the, get the blame when something goes wrong, and Jesus gets all the credit when something goes right. It's the way it's supposed to work. So what's Jesus' role in building the church, according to this verse? He gives gifted leaders to the church. Now, what do the, what do the leaders do? The leaders, let's look back at verse 12, it describes in particular what the pastors and teachers do. They equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Now, this is where I need everybody's attention, right here. Because in America, at least, we have developed a professionalization of the pastorate and of the ministry. And so we have certain expectations that here's what a pastor does. What are some things that a pastor does? you get yelling to yell them out. Preaching. Okay. What Hospital else? Visits. What? Hospital visits. Visit. So if you're sick or you're having a baby, pastor's supposed to be there, right? What else? Weddings? weddings. Okay. Uh, we funerals. funerals. <laughs> Did you say something back there? <laughs> funerals. Okay. Is there co- counseling? Yeah. Discipleship? Mission teams. Mission teams. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so over time in America, I'm not quite sure how it is in the rest of the world, but we have professionalized the role of a pastor. He does all of this church stuff. He disciples other Christians to make sure they're growing spiritually. He shares the gospel with the lost. When, when Christians in the church are hurting, it's the pastor who's there for them to encourage them. Now, I can be very quickly misunderstood in what I'm about to say here, so let me, I'm going to tread carefully. It is not the pastor's job to do any of that stuff. Is that because that's what I say, or is that because that's what verse 12 says? The pastor's and teacher's job, according to verse 12, is to equip the saints to do what? The work of the ministry. So, in America, we have this conception that the pastors, because they are super spiritual, because they are some elite level, next level kind of like super Christian, they get to do all of this stuff. They get to share the gospel with unbelievers because, I mean, I don't know how to do that, but we'll trust the pastor to do that. Or, or, well, my brother and sister, they, they don't understand some point of Christian doctrine. And I understand it, but I'm not going to explain it to them. I'll just call the pastor. I you can explain it to them. Or somebody in the church is hurting, So I'm going to call the pastor and see if he can do something about it. Now, I am really grateful and appreciative of the fact that I think the culture at Mosaic has developed far differently than that common pattern and that common trend. But the role of a pastor... Is not to do all of that church stuff, it's to equip the saints for the work of ministry. My job, Woodley's job, Kevin's job, Sean's job, our job is to equip you to disciple one another. Our job is to equip you to teach doctrine to one another. Our job is to equip you to serve in the various ministries of the church. Our job is to equip you to share your faith. You see, the vision of, of, of the New Testament church is of a vision where if the pastors are, are off having a meeting and a hurricane hits the building where they're in, the church just keeps right on ticket. Because it wasn't about a personality of leaders, but it was about a kingdom of priests where together we took responsibility to do the work of the ministry because that's what Jesus set it all up to do. Jesus' role is to give gifted leaders to the church. The role of the gifted leaders is to equip the saints, that's you, that's me, to do the work of the ministry. So why do I disciple some of you? Is it because I'm a pastor? No, it's because I'm your brother. Why do I counsel some of you? Is it because I'm a pastor? No, it's because you're my brother. You're my sister. And we are together a kingdom of priests. You see, if I'm really doing my job, if we're really doing our job as a pastoral team here at Mosaic, we are going to be unleashing you to do ministry, unleashing you to live the Christian life, unleashing you to live for Jesus outside the walls of this church. So that you don't have to invite your unsaved coworkers over to my house for me to share the gospel with them. You could do it better than I can. And you're in a relationship with them. You don't, you don't have to have have Kevin over to counsel your your the, the your brother or sister through a, a rough patch. You do it. Because we have been equipped to do the work of the ministry. Now, Jesus gives leaders to the church. The leaders equip the saints, and the saints build up the body. How do we know that? Well, the verse verse 12 says that we are equipped to do the work of the ministry. And then verse 13 describes, the, the rest of the chapter just kind of describes what this process looks like. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. And will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way unto him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual heart. So Paul presents this beautiful picture of a body. There are different metaphors for the church in the New Testament. Family, building, the bride of Christ. There are all these different metaphors. The one that he uses in this passage, in these verses, is that of a body. Now, think about your own body for a second. All the different parts of your body need all the other parts of your body. Right? 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 And that's Paul's point. He knew that the, that the church in Ephesus, the readers, they would get that. They all had bodies. And, and as we grow older, some of our body parts don't work as well as they used to, or they're, they're a little slower, or I wake up a little stiffer. But that's, that's part of aging, right? Aging in a fallen world. But Paul understands that our body has all of these parts, all of these different organs and limbs and, and a brain and a heart and all of this different stuff, and we need... Everything about our body in order to function, in order to thrive, in order to be a healthy human being. Paul says it is a beautiful thing when the church is the body of Christ. And Jesus is the head, He's the one controlling the church, He's the brain center. He's the one giving directions in the church. And the Holy Spirit takes up residence in the heart of that church, and everything is just flowing. The hands and the feet and the eyes and the toes, the ears, everything about this body is functioning at peak condition. The ears aren't trying to be the eyes, the eyes aren't trying to be the nose, the nose aren't trying to be the feet. And so what is happening, according to verse 16, is that from him, that's Jesus, the whole body Fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament. He even says, we're supporting ligaments. Like, a ligament. Now, the only time that I really know anything about ligaments is when I'm watching football and it says that they so-and-so strained to something. And I'm like, oh, that sounds bad. But I don't really know what that means. But some of you are more into biology and you know what that means. But, but there's this idea that every single part of the body is important. And some of us are supporting ligaments. And we promote the growth of the body for building up in self and love by the proper working of each individual part. Paul says it is a beautiful thing when the body functions the way the body is supposed to. So brothers and sisters, the church is not the place where the body is at war with one another. That's what you call like, I think it's an autoimmune disorder where your body attacks itself. In the church, it's not supposed to be like that. We're at one, we're at unity. Touched on that last week. We're at peace with one another. Why? So that we can be the body. That we can grow up together as supporting ligaments, promoting the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Now, there are three different ways that I think we build up the body. Three different ways that I think are revealed Uh, In this passage, and I want to briefly touch on each of those. We build each other up relationally, we build each other up intellectually, we build each other up spiritually. Verse 13 talks about that relational aspect. Paul said, Until we all reach unity in the faith, that's really what I've just been touching on, what I've been alluding to this idea of unity, this idea of peace and harmony within the body of Christ. Why? Are we to do the work of the ministry? And when I say we, I don't—I mean saints, right? Verse 12 says the saints do the work of the ministry. So that's all of us. You, me, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a saint. We do the work of the ministry so that or until we reach unity in the faith. So, so the first goal is this relational unity. So we help one another. We build up the body relationally. By pursuing peace within the family of God, by pursuing peace within the body of God, helping one another to be rightly related both to God and to each other. It's a, it's a vision of peace and harmony when our neighbors can't get along because they're arguing over the last election, or our co-workers can't get along because they're both interested in the same girl. We show a better way. In the family of God, it is not like that. Because we are pursuing unity in the faith. So, the reason that we do the work of the ministry in verse 12 is so that we can reach unity in the faith in verse 13. That's what Paul is saying. So, it's this vision of the people of God unleashed to do their ministry, to do their gifts, to to use their talents. So that we are a, are a colony of peace in the midst of a world of war. So, no telling what's swirling all around us on the outside. But in our communities, in our missional families, in our homes, we are colonies of peace. We build one another up relationally, but we also build one another up Intellectually. Verse 14 gives the result of this everyday ministry of the everyday priests of God. He says, There will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. So there's this image of these, these two dudes. They're sitting on a boat in the middle of uh, the Caribbean, and Hurricane Irma comes up upon them. And uh, the feeder bands are stretching out, and the waves are just crashing over the bow of the boat. The rain is just drenching them. The the, the wind has just ripped the, the sail to shreds, and they're just bailing water. These two guys are bailing water as fast as they can. And these waves are hitting them hard from every direction. It's like... The, the hurricane's got wind swirling this way and that way, and so the waves are going this way and that way, and so, so they're, they're trying to catch the, catch the wave, right, to, to, to ride the crest of the wave, but they can't figure it out because one moment the wave is coming from this way, and then they're like, okay, turn the boat this way, but then the next, the wave comes from the other way, so they're like, all right, I'll turn the boat this way. They're knocked around by every single wave. They're blown around by every single wind. Paul said, that's what some of you are like when this everyday priesthood of the believer is not functioning properly. Some of you are in a boat and you're getting knocked around by every wind and every wave. But the winds and the waves, in Paul's metaphor, are false teachings. Teachings that are contrary to the word of God. Teachings that are outside the Christian faith. Maybe even teachings that have Christian lingo and Christian words and that sound like, oh, maybe that's, maybe that's what we're supposed to. Maybe Jesus really said that. And, and the church has just been hiding that for 2,000 years. And all this kind of conspiracy theories float out there. And you can find anything you want on the internet, right? And we, we read this stuff and we, we, it's on Facebook. So, must be true. And, and, and so the, the wheels get turning in our minds. And we get knocked around by this wind of doctrine and then knocked around by this wind of doctrine and then knocked around by this cunning teaching and the wind and the waves are just battering us. What's Paul's solution? Is it everybody go to seminary so you can learn the truth? Is it make sure you have a really good pastor who will protect you from that bad stuff? No, and no. Seminary is a good thing, yeah. I, I win. Not for everybody. Having a good pastor is a good thing, but that's not the solution. The solution is back in verse 12. We equip the saints, the leaders who have been sent by God, equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And verse 13 says that that produces unity. It produces maturity. And the end result of that, according to verse 14, is that we're not confused and we're not battered. We're not drowning in every false wind of doctrine. So what's happened? The church, the everyday Christian The priesthood of believers, you and me and everybody who's a genuine follower of Jesus. We have taken responsibility for truth. So at that conversation at your missional family and you hear somebody say something and it's it's a little off. You don't want to shame them or humiliate them. But you think what they're saying is not the truth of God's word. So so maybe later after group is over. You're walking home next to him or, or you have a conversation the next week and you're like, hey, bro, I just, I just wanted, to, wanted to mention something. And what we do is we help one another keep from being buffeted by every false wind of doctrine, from every cunning teaching that's dressed up in Christian garb that we think sounds, well, that must, must be true. I mean, the guy said Jesus said it. Louis Farrakhan, Nation of Islam, leader. Has been uh, in the news this week for talking about Jesus. Uh, when the nation of Islam talks about Jesus, it is different from what you and I mean when we talk about Jesus. But if we're not careful, we're just going to hear, well, oh, he was talking about Jesus, so that's cool. Well, no, it's not cool if you're proclaiming a Jesus who is divorced from the teachings of Scripture. Because then you're not proclaiming the same Jesus of the Bible. You are not proclaiming the Jesus of history. You are not proclaiming the risen Lord. So this is a call to discernment. And, and it's not a call to filter it all through the pastor. It's a call to be biblically literate. You and I and us together. So that we help one another out. There been times when, I don't know... I hear something and I'm like, man, I don't know what to think about that. Like, I'm going to have to go ask somebody or I'm going to have to go talk to somebody. I have to go do some research, right? That's what we do. We, we are the body of Christ. We are the everyday priests. We are the priesthood of believers. And together we keep one another from being buffeted, knocked around by every false wind of cunning teaching. So, we build up the body relationally, we build up the body intellectually, but we also build up the body spiritually. Back in verse 15, it says we speak the truth in love, and in this we grow in every way into him who is the head, even Christ. This idea of speaking the truth in love is the idea that we, we disciple one another, we counsel one another. We build each other up spiritually. So the image, remember, is of this body. And the body is being built by us. We are the body members. We are the body parts. And so the body is healthy and functioning and thriving. We're working out metaphorically. And we do it here by building one another up spiritually. That means that we take responsibility to disciple and to counsel one another. Sometimes, not very often, but sometimes I get calls like, hey, you know, so-and-so, I got this problem. I really don't think that should happen very often or like almost never. If your brother or sister is struggling spiritually, go do something about it. Go talk to them. So Matthew 18 says, that's what this verse says. That we speak the truth in love. Because Jesus gives leaders to the church. The leaders of the church equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And the work of the ministry, according to this passage, is among other things, speaking the truth in love. So if I'm responsible for you and discipling you and counseling you, it's not because I'm your pastor. It's because I'm your brother. So then the question is, if you're being counseled or discipled, you're being blessed by somebody's ministry. Who are you discipling? Who are you counseling? Who are you blessing? How are you serving? These are ways that we build up the body. I have a question that I want us to ponder and then we'll move into some application to wrap this up. Here's the question. I think I've got it on the screen. is everyday priests, how can we act upon our responsibility to build up the body? As everyday priests, how can we act upon our responsibility to build up the body? If you're as much a priest as I am, and my job and the job of the other pastors is to act under the Lordship of Christ to equip you to do all that God calls the church to do, then how does that work? What do we do? What should we change? Is there anything we should do differently? I want to make five... Suggestions. Five bodybuilding suggestions to, to build up the body of Christ that is called Mosaic. First is to be present. Now, we live in a world of hyperconnectivity. I got people that I'm friends with on Facebook that I don't even know. Does anybody else have that problem? Like sometimes I see stuff in my feed and I'm like... I, I don't know about this, and I don't care about this. And like, they're probably thinking that about me. They're like, who's this Stephen guy? I don't know how he got in my feed. Um, and, uh, and, and we've got Snapchat, and Instagram, and Twitter. Some of you don't know everything that I'm talking about. That's cool. I, I, I had to have Kevin explain Snapchat to me a couple years ago because I don't know what it was. And then I still don't really care all that much. But the point is, We are a hyper-connected culture, but we have become so connected to everyone that we are in relationship with almost no one. Let me say that again. We are so connected to everyone that we are almost in relationship with no one. In a world of Facebook, in a world of Instagram, in a world of YouTube stars that have thousands of followers, what God calls the church to do is to be present. Is to instead of pursuing large-scale connection with the world, we pursue deep relationships with our family. Family defined as the family of God, the church. This Priesthood of believers, and so rather than being friends with a ten thousand people on Facebook, friends, with ten thousand people on Facebook, I pursue genuine relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Because here's the problem: like with Facebook, like I can post all this Christian stuff. People think, man, he's like walking with God. He's so awesome. He's spiritual. Like, they don't know me. They don't see me. None of those people are looking into my eyes on Monday night as we're having Bible study. None of those guys are talking to me on Thursday night when we have our pastors meeting. None of them know me. Facebook is just Facebook. I'm not suggesting you deactivate your account, although some of us maybe should. But my point that I'm making here is that God calls us to be present in one another's lives. I, I think that starts with being present at the Sunday gathering of saints. The book of Hebrews says that uh, we're not to forsake the assembling of the saints of God together. And I think what it happens on Sunday is so vital because it nourishes the roots of our spirituality. It sets the tone of our discipleship and our encounter with Jesus for the week. It's not just something that we can, like, say, oh, well, I'll watch church on TV today. I'll listen to some Donnie McClurkin gospel music and I'll be good. Poor Donnie McClurkin. Some of the preachers on TV are awesome. You know, The goal is not simply to get good worship and good teaching. Because if I wanted that, I'd just stay home and listen to Matt Chandler. Or I'd, I'd watch Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. But the goal of the Sunday gathering is not to put on a show with the best preaching from the stage and the best worship experience. The goal is to meet with God in community. And for me to speak into your life and for you to speak into my life, we have got to be present. This is the most important event of our week. Am I saying that because I'm speaking as a pastor? No, I really believe I'm saying this as your brother. I need to be here. I need this. That's why I try, not always able to pull it off, but like I try, when I go on vacation... Or when I'm away at school, to have to to go away a couple times a year, try to listen to the sermons from Mosaic. Now, I usually am able to go to church when I'm on vacation or go to church when I'm in North Carolina at school. But I believe that God speaks uniquely to me through the Word of God as it is proclaimed by my covenant family. That's you. And so it's not, I can't just be like, I checked the box. I went to a church. North Carolina, I was able to be anonymous. Nobody knows who I was. I'll never go back again. They'll never miss me. It's cool. But I was spiritual because I went to church. But nobody looked into my eyes and said, are you struggling? How's your walk with God? So like, and I, I realize this sounds kind of strange, but like, when I'm gone, I try to listen. Say, what did Kevin preach this week? What did Woodley say? Is it because... I'm like so in awe of Woodley and Kevin's preaching abilities. No, it's because I believe that the spirit of God speaks uniquely through the family, through the priesthood of believers. And I need that because I'm just a regular everyday priest just like you. We've got to be present at the Sunday gathering, in our missional families, in one another's lives. I know New York City doesn't really work so well for that. We live this this pace in New York that doesn't work for community. This city tries to tear us apart and God keeps trying to bring us back together. The devil knows that we desperately need one another and that we gotta be present in one another's lives if we are to succeed at this thing called life. So basically, I guess what I'm asking for is as an application of this text, if we're gonna be everyday priests who, who are doing the work of ministry, we have got to be present in one another's lives. Seeing you a couple of times a month, texting you every once in a while, seeing you on Facebook, those kinds of things, those are not ways in which we can help one another grow. This is a call to commit. It's a, it's a call to be all in. Kind of like Jesus asked of his disciples to be present. Reads, leads very naturally into the second suggestion to be our brother's keeper. When Cain killed his brother Abel and God asked him where was his brother, he said, How should I know? I'm my brother's keeper. And uh, he mounts off to God. Of course, God judges Cain, but I think I think God would probably say yeah. You are your brother's keeper. And how much more in the church where I am your keeper and you are mine. Not because I'm a pastor. I'm just a leader who's been sent by God to equip you to hold me and everybody else you can. We're present. We're our brother's keeper. We learn the truth. Verse 14 talked about being tossed about by every false wind of doctrine. So what God calls us to do is to learn the truth so that you don't have to go talk to the pastor every time something comes up that you don't know or that, that you're, you hear something said in missional family or you're having a conversation and you're like, you know what? I just want to help my brother or sister. And I feel like I can't do it. And I realize we feel insecure about those sorts of things. And so frequently we talk to the pastor. I'm happy to have those conversations with you because that's how I equip you. But the goal of each of those equipping conversations is so that you can do it on your own, that you learn the truth because you as the body, you as the kingdom of priests, you are the safeguard of truth. The Bible says that the church defends the deposit of faith that has been handed down through the generations. I'm I'm not the guardian of truth. I'm not like a a knight in shining armor standing outside the castle keeping heresy at bay. You are. We are. We either let it in or we keep it out. We learn the truth. We serve the family. So they say that in most churches, uh, I don't think the statistic is accurate, it was it. It would be interesting to count it up. I never have. But then in most churches, about 20% of the attenders do all of the serving. Serving the children's ministry, singing the worship team, their greeters, all of that stuff. If we take this text seriously, that is a statistic that could not ever be true of Mosaic. Because we're like, well, I am a part of the body, I am an everyday priest. I have been equipped to do the work of the ministry, so I'll serve, I'll be a greeter. I'll serve with the kids. I'll sing. I'll set up and tear down. I'll host a a small group in my home. I'll work on the website. Because we serve the family together. Because that's what we do. The last suggestion that I propose is that we give generously. I know people get nervous whenever a pastor talks about money. But I have to talk about it because Jesus talked about it. There's this idea of building up the body. There's this idea of growth and expansion here in Ephesians chapter 4. Mosaic has been the, the benefit and the, the beneficiary of a lot of outside support, financial support from churches around the country who have invested in us as we have sought to, to get started over these last couple of years. What I would encourage you as your pastors, is that I believe it's time for us to begin To take ownership more financially of our own church and rely less on outside support and more on sacrificial giving from within. I know some of you are already doing that, and trust me, I have no idea what happens when the offering plate gets passed in front of you. I'm not looking to see. But when I look at this passage, I see a family that's all in, a kingdom of priests who is not bowing before an idol of materialism. They're not rushing out to buy the iPhone X at $999. Nothing wrong with getting the iPhone X if that's what you're going to do, so long as you can afford it, and so long as Jesus is your priority. But in America, we prioritize phones over Jesus, vacations over Jesus, houses over Jesus, And we we lay up treasures where they corrupt and where they rust and destroy instead of laying them up in heaven where they last forever. This passage is a call to be the church, to be an everyday kingdom of priests. Led by our head, the head of the body, Jesus, who gives leaders to the church. And then those leaders of the church equip the saints to build up the body. These are just five suggested ways that we build up the body. There are other ways. Maybe God would speak to you more about some of these than others. Or maybe something else that's not even on this list that He'd finger your heart with. I would encourage you to to pull out your response card. As we conclude the sermon now, I just want to challenge you to think again about the illustration that we started with. Think about the rope. Now, Kevin is a gifted pastor. But he couldn't win the tug of war because you're gifted too. And there's more of you than there was of him. That's the point of Ephesians 4. God gives gifted leaders to the church, but the whole point of those leaders is to bring the gifts in the everyday priests to the surface because there's more of you than there are of us. And as, as we equip you and unleash you in the world to be the mighty army of God that we have been called to be. It is an unstoppable, beautiful, amazing thing. It's what we have been called to do. More importantly, it's who we've been called to be. Let's pray.